Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Connection, where industry expert Doug Plucknett interviews global leaders from the maintenance and reliability industry. Each week, new leaders will join us with insights and tips to help you grow in your career, and they'll share a good story or two while they're at it as well. The Leadership Connection is produced by the industry's leading networking and learning community, Mobius Connect. Doug, over to you. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you have to be tuning into this podcast. Today, I am honored to have an old classmate, Denise Lamro. Denise, how are you doing today? I'm great, Doug. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Um, this is a little bit different, our interview today. I'm typically interviewing people from the maintenance and reliability community, and uh, I couldn't help but notice the rise in Denise's career through the years uh, through LinkedIn. And I thought, wow, this is really somebody that has one of those jobs that, uh, that that people ought to learn about, know about. And you also work for a company that really is involved in terms of helping companies with uh, software solutions and internet security, a well-known company. So Denise, if you could um, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, where you went to school um, and the companies you've worked with and the, the positions that you've held through the years. Sure, I'd be happy to. So obviously, Doug and I both are graduates of Spencerport Central Schools. And from there, I went on to Geneseo, actually following a year after Doug left for Geneseo. And SUNY Geneseo is where I majored in English education. So upon graduation, I was teaching for a couple of years. And then with very quick succession, I had my two children. So I stayed home while they were very small. And then when it was time to re-enter the workforce, that's when corporate training was becoming an actual career opportunity. So what I did was I moved into a training role at Xerox. And that was a large manufacturing organization in our area. And then through an outsourcing merger type of situation, I became an employee of Electronic Data Systems, or EDS as it was known. While I was at EDS, I had the opportunity to enhance my writing and editing skills when I took a marketing and communications role for a couple of years, and then combined that with my L&D skills. And that positioned me into my next move as a leader of a global group of trainers at Hewlett Packard. Now, Hewlett Packard had obtained EDS through a merger. And so even though I was doing the same job, I now had a different company signing my paycheck. And, you know, then I worked for HP for a number of years. And then during the, the phase, phase where they were going through their divergent of the two companies, I found myself unemployed and took a role as a project manager at Atos, which is where I work now. And I knew that I could use um, that project management role as a springboard back towards learning and development. And then all my skills kind of came together um, to help me take on this, this development of the DNI roles that I've held for the last five years. So my foundational skills got me to where I am today, and they have really been the core for how I've moved through these different roles through the years. All right, that was really an interesting transition of a career. And when I look at it, uh, I saw recently you you uh, had posted that you're doing something involved with the Olympics. Yes, so they're one of our main clients, the International Olympic Committee Committee and the International Paralympic Committee. So Atos provides all the 
IT services for both entities. So obviously Tokyo is just a, a little bit away from us now at this point, a little over 100 days. And we are very closely aligned with helping the IOC and in parallel the IPC to develop their diversity and inclusion programs that will be implemented across all of the IOC organizations in the world. So very excited and very privileged and honored to be part of that process with them. All right. So my podcast really deals with leadership. And uh, obviously, in the positions you've held, you've been recognized as a leader. When can you say it was at first that somebody looked at you and said, well, there's somebody that, that really should uh, be promoted within the company as a leader? What was going on in your career when you think that recognition occurred? So it happened back when I was with EDS and we were supporting the Xerox account that was part of that outsourcing packaging. I was recognized as a leader in the security communications space. That's when I was working in a marketing and communications role. And this was at the time where computer viruses severely impacted a company's ability to function back when SQL Server, um, you know, viruses were coming into the environment, etc. And at that time, I was in charge of coordinating all the communications that happened during a virus crisis to leadership within Xerox and within EDS. And through the processes that I developed to handle the communications and to keep everyone informed in a timely fashion, I was recognized first as a leader. Very good. Um, now, looking back at your career, and this might even still be going on, I, I know it, 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 in, in my career, there are still people that I consider mentors. Are there some people that, that you'd like to recognize that were mentors in your career? And what did those mentors help you with? You know, I've worked for some really strong leaders who supported me and encouraged my, you know, way of saying, well, let's try this. And why don't we think about that? and so forth, but none of them really knew what to do with me from a developmental perspective because my role was always unique within their teams. So my strongest mentor and advocate has been um, the person who was the CFO of Atos North America at that time, and her name is Natalie Poussin. She is the one who asked me to create the diversity program for the North American region and allowed me the way, the, you know, the space to create within. And she asked me to conduct research to be able to back up what my ideas consisted of. And then she championed me and championed the programs and encouraged her global peers to get involved as well. And that's when the shift from the role from just being focused on North America turned towards a global shift. And so now the, the role encompasses diversity and inclusion programs for 73 countries and 105,000 employees. She's my strongest mentor, and although she no longer works for our company, we do keep in touch. I've done a couple programs for the company she now works for out of Africa, and it allows me to still get advice and guidance from her because she is a wealth of information. That's fantastic. Now, speaking of diversity, you know, I come from an, uh, let's say a skill set. I came from the skilled trades, right? working in maintenance, and that was one of the things that we struggled with through the years is, uh, you know, a male-dominated type job or the, the trades were. And and then on top of that, um, one of those things that is kind of like passed down through family. You know, my father was a tradesperson. His father was a tradesperson. My son is a tradesperson, right? Um, how do you think companies are best um, helped 
to understand the importance of what diversity is and how they can bring that into their uh, their workforce? And that's a really good question. And the way I kind of start a conversation like this is I say, when you're walking down the street and you look around you, does everyone look exactly like you? Is everyone the same age? Do they come, you know, do they have the same skin color? Are they all the same gender? And the answer to that is always no. So then I say, okay, well, if you're walking down the street and everyone's different, you shouldn't come into a workplace where everyone is the same. Because then there's no, you know, diversity of thought that brings on the creation, that brings on the innovation and brings people together more, you know, cohesively. So when you're thinking about your hiring decisions, it shouldn't just be about gender, which has been a large focus for several years, and rightly so, to try to balance for better at, between the genders. But you also have to look at the generations. You have to look at people of color. You have to look at people with disabilities. You have to consider every facet of what makes up an individual and ensure that your employee base consists of all these different types of individuals so that you have those differing opinions that are going to lead to a much better solution. And this is not something that happens overnight. You really have to commit to a culture of inclusivity so that when people come in, they, they realize that this company is focused on the, the development and enhancement of the employee experience. You can be a diverse company, right? Having all the numbers in place. You've got good generational balance, good gender balance. You've got people with disabilities, leaders who are people of color, but yet none of them feel like they're included. They don't feel that this is a place that respects who they are and values their work. And so they're all kind of disenfranchised. So it's not enough to just be diverse. You also have to go that next level and create those belonging moments so that everyone feels that they are appreciated. And then of course, anyone who feels valued always performs at a much higher rate. And it really just enhances the whole working mechanisms of a company. Once you turn towards that culture of inclusivity predicated by also focusing on diversity. All right, that's outstanding. So you spoke, you know, in this process of hiring and looking for leaders, if there were two or three traits that you look for in leaders, what would they be? That is a really great, great question. Curiosity. You know, people have to be continual learners. Um, you know, I'm just turned 59 last Friday, so now I have to say 59 instead of 58. It just feels a lot older. But if I had not been continually listening to what was happening, reading different periodicals, getting involved in external organizations, I would have stagnated long ago and I would have never had the opportunities I've had in the last 10, 15 years. I would have been pigeonholed and I might have even been um, put on the shelf. So curiosity and that state of kind of being a continual learner is really important people first behaviors, some call it servant leadership, where you are putting the greater good of the team as a leader ahead of your own personal gain. Um, it's often been said that the best leader prepares their people to leave them and you know gives them the skills and the experiences and so forth so that they can advance their own career paths instead of keeping hold of them because they are good workers. You want them to grow and succeed. 
And then that, that mindset of inclusivity, I think is critical where you, like I said before, you can have the right dimensions from diversity in place, but that does not mean that those people feel appreciated and that they belong within your team. So those are the three, curiosity, inclusivity, and that idea of servant leadership. Outstanding. So I'm going to throw you a, a little bit of a curveball because one of the things that we deal with uh, within our business of, of asset management and reliability is look at a team that makes progress, right? Or even a, a department of a, of a corporation that makes significant progress. And then uh, let's say their leader gets promoted, the department manager gets promoted, and a new person comes in. That new person always seems to want to try and make a name for themselves. Right. Right. How do they how do they do that and then not regress from the progress that they've already made? So obviously they have to share first and foremost what their aspirations are for the team and where they expect that those players within the team to function. But they have to, before they even do that, have a listening tour, listen to everyone, hear what their pain points have been, where they're um, most proud of things, um, talk about the successes and the failures and understand all of that before they come back and say, okay, here's my aspirations for this team. Built on what everyone has said, I really feel that we could focus on X, Y, and Z. And it's like doing a SWOT analysis, right? Where you look at the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats. But you don't dictate it to them. You make them part of pulling that SWOT together and then assigning different tasks and actions to those people who feel the most passionate in those spaces. Because you can assign someone a task, but that doesn't mean that they've got a feel for it or the heart and the spirit for it. And instead, they just kind of flounder around like, oh, yeah, I got to do this. But if you instead find the people who are passionate about that topic and assign that task to them, then you're going to see some real results from it. So you can still drive your agenda, but also be inclusive of the people on your team so that they also have a chance to drive their agenda in alignment with the overall team's goals. All right. Um Denise, going back to that thing of continuous learning that you talked about in, in the traits of curiosity, um, nearly every leader I've ever met in a training course, um, when I meet them, I typically ask, you know, is there a book that you've read or a course that you've taken through the years that made a change in your career? And what would that book or that course be? I'm going to so ask you I've, that same question. I have a very ready answer for that. When I was with EDS, I was selected to participate in an internal coach certification program. It was the first time that EDS offered something like that, where it would be executive coaching back to our um, colleagues within the company. So I went out to Plano, which was where EDS's headquarters were. I was there for a week with a cadre of people selected from our company from all across the globe. And we were the initial group certified as professional trainers within the company. Um, it's ironic that it's just about 20 years ago that we were involved in this program and uh, we're all still connected to each other. Even though we've all scattered around, some people have retired, others have gone on to work for other companies, et cetera. 
And I'm still connected to the person who actually created this program, who is named David Rock. He owns an, a company called the Neuro Leadership Institute, and they offer coaching certification, training programs on all kinds of different topics for team effectiveness, et cetera. And this methodology that we were taught while we were part of this coach certification program has been central to everything I've done ever since I was involved in that program. And a couple years ago, David and I were speaking at the same conference and what went right at one went right after the other. And so we got to have lunch with each other. And it was just such a great experience to say that literally the day before I had been talking to one of the people who was involved in this program and he still remembered who we all were. So, you know, this this was a unique moment in time for us all. And it continues to influence the work I do. That is fantastic. I, I got to tell you, I, you know, my course that I always mention is uh, one I took at Kodak called uh, Performance Management, which was written by Dr. Aubrey Daniels, and he taught that course. Had the same type of, of, of impact on my career, and that, that is one of those things that, that you do when you when something like that happens and it clicks, right? You say, man, this is something else. Everybody should be involved in this, right? Exactly. Um, so we often talk about corporate initiatives right and some being driven from bottom up some being driven from top down what are your thoughts on those well obviously everyone has to have some skin in the game for it to be successful and you know they say the top down doesn't always consider what gets done really at the ground floor of the effort and that's definitely been the case you know historically however i do feel that companies are really trying harder to have an understanding of what the person actually doing the job is facing much more so than years previously but this doesn't always translate well into the sales realm and so what I mean by that is, <coughs> excuse me, a salesman will, will promise the moon, the stars, and the sun to a client. And then after the contract is signed, there's an understanding that we can only deliver the moon. The stars and the sun haven't even been created yet. <coughs> so that's where, you know, the issues kind of come into play. And then the client is disappointed. The people are overworked trying to create the, the sun and the stars when all they really had available was the moon. And that's where things fall apart. <clears throat> so there has to be a complete understanding and a respect for and an inclusion of people at all levels in the decision-making process so that there aren't these situations that come to pass where you can only give the moon, but you're telling them you can give the stars and the sun as well. And I do believe solidly that companies are getting better at that, but there's obviously still some room for growth because this does continue to happen. All right, so looking at uh, leadership, this is one of those other interesting conversations that we often have over a beer or a glass of wine in our community is, uh, <laughs> is leadership a learned skill or is it a natural skill? You know, it's an, it, that's such an interesting question. And of course, everybody you speak to will have a completely different answer. But I feel that there's core skills that make up a leader, um, tenacity, emotional intelligence, that inclusivity factor, adaptability, listening skills, 
and good communication skills that really go across all dimensions of the employee um, network, you know, generations and cultures and genders and, and ability levels, etc. So those are core skills. And you really, you can't teach a person emotional intelligence so much. But those learned skills, like the processes, the procedures, the, you know, the hierarchy, all of that um, are things that anybody can learn and adapt to. However, if a person is a subject matter expert and is the only person who can really do that particular role well, that doesn't mean they can be a good leader because they don't possess some of those skills, such as being able to adapt, to listen to people and understand why they're not understanding how to perform this particular skill, etc. So my thoughts on leadership is that you, without those core skills, you are sort of like a, um, a figurehead and you can manage the work, but that doesn't mean you lead the people towards you know successfully completing the work you're just dictating to them and that to me is a huge difference between being a manager and a leader a leader is a servant leader putting the needs of the team first and always checking the pulse um, figuring out how things are going a manager just says it's due on the 15th at 3 p.m get it done so i don't feel it's um i feel it's uh it, there's an innate leadership core in people or there isn't and that's kind of my perspective all right so finishing out today at this point in your career denise what would you say is your greatest success hmm you know these last five years being in the diversity space has been just a wonderful experience for me but I feel that my crowning achievement um, lies in the fact that along with a great group of global partners, we've really focused on building that, that creative, um, inclusive, ethical, forward-thinking culture here at the company and where people can be their authentic selves in the workplace, um, work free from discrimination for who they are, and really produce best-in-class work. Now, this is an evolutionary process. It hasn't been, you know, a, a breeze through with, you know, everybody happily joining hands and saying, yes, let's do this. But I'm leading us towards this concept of equity, where there's equity in the tech space. And that in and of itself creates um, sustainable programs that people choose to attend. And those programs have impacted the way they think, act, and work. So that is my crowning achievement to this point, the fact that we were able to take all of these different countries and pull them together into a common way of thinking, acting, and reacting so that they are inclusive in the decisions they're making. All right. Denise, it's been great catching up with you today. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation and, and uh, and I think your experience is going to go a long way for people in our community. Uh, so it was a great thank honor. You. Thank yeah, you for thank joining you. us. Thanks very much. I was really excited to be asked to do this. So um, thank you very much again and have a wonderful rest of your day. All right. This has been Doug Plucknett with the Leadership Connection. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Leadership Connection. We will see you back for another episode next week. 
In between, we hope to see you in the Mobius Connect community where you can meet Doug and share with other industry professionals at MobiusConnect.com. We'll see you there.